This is episode four with artist and author Melody Ross. Welcome to Radiant Living, your go-to podcast for holistic health and wellness. I'm your host, Lexi. Get ready to unlock the keys to radiant living and ignite your journey towards a healthier, happier you. Join as we dive into nutrition, exercise, mindfulness, and alternative therapies, providing the inspiration and tools you need to make sustainable changes. Let's unleash your full potential and embrace the vibrant, balanced life that you've always dreamed of. The time is now. Let's kickstart your journey to vibrant health and start living your most radiant life. Are you ready? In today's episode, we have one of my most cherished friends. I'm so thankful to have Melody in my circle, but she is seriously just the most warm and lovely person you'll ever meet. Anyone and everyone who meets her just feels of her love and just feels how genuine she is. And there's just something about the presence that she gives you. And I'm sure you're all going to hear it through our conversation today, but she is just such a wonderful person and she has so much insight and she is just an absolute wealth of knowledge. So in today's conversation, we talk about how to find forgiveness, how to heal through art, connecting to your inner child and finding harmony with your past, present, and future, healing from trauma, how questions are the gateway to breakthrough, setting up a home environment that heals and nourishes your guests, neuroscience and creativity, giving back the power to you, and so much more. Okay, welcome to the podcast. Um, I just wanted to start off by asking you, what is your favorite morning ritual? Oh man, I think um, when I get up in the morning, I think about I, I think about something until I'm so excited that I want to get up. So I, I usually don't wake up until something like pops me out of bed. So I'll wake up and I'll just lay there and think like, what do I get to do today that I'm so excited about? Um, Cause I, that's one thing I, I love neuroscience. And one of the things Joe Dispenza says is like, get yourself into a state where you're so excited and, and all your neurochemicals will support, you know, will support you. If you, if the first thing, one, one of my, one of my theories is, um, whatever makes your blood or whatever makes your heart beat fast first thing in the morning is what's going to keep you going the rest of the day. So if it's something stressful, you're going to be stressed out the rest of the day, you know, cause your heart can beat fast from stress or from being excited. So I just, I just lay there and I think, man, what could I do right now? And so usually like you, you were just commenting on how my hands are covered in pain. So like this morning I woke up really early and I was like, Hey, do I want to go back to sleep? And then I started thinking like, what if I got up this morning and I, you know, finished painting some jewelry that I've been making. And so then I, that just pops me right out of bed. So that's my first morning ritual. And then I get up and I um, actually drink Zip Fizz. That's the first thing I drink in the morning. What is that? That's, a, that's like a powdered, a little powdered vitamin drink that you get at Costco. But mm-hmm. it has like all, all your vitamins for the day. And then it has a little bit of caffeine in it. And so that's just a <laughs> ritual good. for me. Yeah. I love that. So I get up and I turn on something inspiring to listen to. And I usually make art every morning, the mm-hmm. first thing before I even get dressed. Because that gets my day started. Yeah. Oh, right. So. I love that you're so dedicated to your craft. Like yes. you're so driven, and I feel I just feel so much ambition from you. Like, <laughs> it just feels like you just always want to do what you love. I, I love do, it. I do, and I I think I think I um I've tried to do what I'm supposed to do. You know, like mm-hmm. tried to be like 
more, I don't, I don't even know why I didn't, never thought this was a responsible way to live, but I have lived a very, I have like had a, an employer before and, and lived a really regimented, you know, life, like go to work and all that kind of stuff. But I found that when I can get really passionate about what I can do, that I, everything just feels more authentic and I'm actually more successful financially and more successful. My health is better, everything mm-hmm. like that. So lots of times people ask me like, in, in however whatever word form they put it in, like, why do you make art every day or why are you constantly creating? And, and really my answer is like, well, why do you breathe? I mean, that, that's how that's how innate it is for me. That's how, how if, I, if I betray that part of myself, I feel like part of me is like dying, so. Yeah, I know, because yeah. I feel like I do that from time to time. Like I have these things that I kind of let die in myself. Yes. Like, because I love art too, but I don't take time to make it a priority. And I notice that when I'm not releasing that creative outlet, like I notice that just my personality is not completely what it should be. Well, I think a lot of people look at it like it's um, like a luxury or um, I, I was I had somebody at my last certification because I certify people to teach my curriculum and she she's a grief specialist like she has retreats for people who are in grief that that's she works with grieving people. And she said something that was so life changing for me that I think about every single day. She said we are wired as human beings to find relief all the time. Mm-hmm. And so I I watch people do creative things and I see this sense of relief come over them. Mm-hmm. And so f- for me, it's a wellness practice because it gets, it reduces your cortisol and your adrenaline and you lose track of time, which means you're very present. Yeah. And, and then you can hear your own voice because it gets very quiet. And so I think a lot of times people think that being creative or, or making art or making music or making, you know, designing clothes, whatever it is for you, whatever your creative prospect is, that it's a hobby that you have to get your work done first. And I feel differently about it. I feel it for me, it's like eating, exercising, um, brushing my teeth. Like it's something that if I don't do that, I don't feel whole, mm-hmm. you know, and I, and I don't feel like I'm living authentically. So yeah. I wish the whole perception about that would change because I... I know that everyone is creative and it's an innate human need. You know, we, we ha- that's how we're different from animals. We have a prefrontal cortex in our brain. And so we can reason and we can create things that didn't exist before we created them. Not everything is instinctual for us. We can create. And so when people aren't creating something, food, music, like I said, you know, parenting, creating, creating a family, you know, whatever it is, I feel like they, they suffer a lot, you know? Yeah. yeah. I love that you're so authentic. Honestly, that's one of the things that I admire about you the most. Thank you. So you talk about a, a lot about soul work. And so I just wanted to ask, like, what do you mean by that? And how does somebody discover that for themselves? Well, if you just look at the word soul and, and you compare it to like the word human, you know, like what I truly believe is that we are having a really incredible human experience as souls or have like, you know, like a lot of people say it, you're, you're having a spiritual experience as a human being. So I, um, if you look at your life as a human, it's very, um, machine it it, like it's like kind of like a machine going if you look at your life like a soul you're on this i i feel like we're here and we are here learning and experiencing as humans 
And so if you look at your human existence, it's a super low level. If you only look at yourself as a human, you need to eat, you need to sleep, you need to have shelter, you need to have clothing, you know, like, like if you look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you know, at the very bottom, it's just your basic needs. You need safety, but then you go up and then you need connection and you need um, human interaction. And, and then maybe you'll go up a little bit more and you need education. And then the highest point to get to is self-actualization, which means you're living up to your potential. Now, if you lived up to your potential as a human, if you just looked at yourself, just like I said, like another animal and you just do things instinctively and you just go through the motions. And one of the things I think is really sad, and I work with a lot of people who've lived like this for 50, 60 years, is when somebody hands you a, a checklist of all the things you're supposed to do to be a good person or to be successful or whatever, whether you sought out that checklist or it was given to you as a child or given to you as an adult or by your partner or whatever, and then they go throughout life checking off those boxes and they're still not happy and that's because there's not a prescription that works for every single person and so that's why what soul work is is it's going to the essence of who you are and what you're good at and what you desire and the contribution that you want to make in the world and what your talents are and what your desires are and what your pain is and what your trauma is and what where you were born in the world and what family you were born into. Everybody has such a fingerprint of nuances that's so different from every single person, although we are a lot the same too. You have to really go inward. So my work, I call it creative soul searching because you, you create in creative self-inquiry. Nobody on this planet has the answers for you, for your life. You know, the, the best thing we can do is give each other really good questions, not but not answers. You have to go inward and find the answers. And that's that's what soul work is. You're going in and you're talking to the essence of who you are, not who you are as a human who needs to eat, sleep, you know, whatever. All, all these things that we all that's what we share in common is our physical carnal needs. But what we but what the nuances of how different we are are embedded in our soul, in our DNA. I mean, even through epigenetics, your ancestry comes through at least three generations back. And there's just there's so much there's so much such a complex um, spirit inside of you, a complex being, a, a complex set of data and um, and feelings and desires and, and also talents, like untapped talent that, that you just are, you know? So the soul work is really tapping into a kind of, man, that's a good de definition I would give for, for like the essence of soul work is ripping up that checklist that you've been living your life by and going and asking yourself enough questions to make your own checklist, mm -hmm. you know? Like, why am I here? What makes me happy? What contribution can I make? What part am I playing in whatever dramas I'm in the middle of? You know, like really just looking at yourself because um, the human condition, especially in the Western culture, is really to always be um, either pointing your eyes outward or your fingers outward. Like, I'm hurting. Who did this to me? Or I need guidance. Who can give it to me? We're always looking outside of ourselves. And, and I think when you really start diving into soul work, you realize like all the answers are in you, that all the, all the best answers, all the truest answers are already inside of you. You just need the right questions, you need time, you need a lot of deprogramming, you know, a lot, you know, from, from the time you're small, from Disney movies and school and mean girls at, you know, at school and if you're, whatever family culture you grew up in, whatever church, school, you know, whatever uh, country, you know, culture, all these cultures that you grow up in, they, they give you programs that sometimes, just like with a computer, sometimes you have to like remove 
things that the, the the tapes that are running in your head and the programs that are running that you're doing unconsciously mm-hmm. or you know you, you have to just go I'm doing this but I don't really even want to be doing this so what could I do it takes a ton of courage because a lot of times um, that's how we fit into the tribes we're in that's how we fit into the families or the organizations we're part of is by following that checklist and so you have to have enough courage to go you know what that's not really who I am I want to do this you know so I know I feel like we're so detached in this world like even for me like going into this work I realize how disconnected I am from my intuition and it's kind of a muscle that you have to build up it's something that you really have to dig deep into and I think that's what a lot of health issues like I think that's what happens a lot because people are like, oh, I need to go to doctors. They're just handing their power away. But really, like what you just said, like it's all inside of us. And we can get all the answers that we need. We're just afraid, I think. Yeah, well, detachment and dissociating is just a survival instinct that your brain thinks you're not gonna be able to cope with whatever is in front of you. So, so much of it is just mind over matter, like sitting with your sadness, sitting with your anger, and and just, and observing it more not in a detached way like being in your body saying i feel angry this what i wonder what this is about but not i am angry not making it an identity but like i am experiencing anger mm-hmm. i wonder what that's about instead of i i think in our culture a lot of times what happens is you go to the doctor and you say i don't feel good and they, they say well let's give you something so that you don't feel anything yeah. you know instead of going in and going i I wonder why I don't feel good, you know? Like all this self-betrayal and self-ignoring, um, self-abandonment, I, I think you're right. It's the root of so many of these sim- symptoms that they're creating names for disorders or names for or for diseases a lot of the time. They're, they're putting these symptoms on this this disease you have or whatever. And I, and I know those things are true sometimes, but I think a lot of the time too, they're symptoms of our soul crying out saying, I need attention. I want you to listen to me. I am not living an authentic life. I am miserable. I wanna be awake to my life. But I think as a survival mechanism, a lot of people just, they, they sleepwalk through life. I mean, you see it, you know, when you're an awake person, and you go out into the world and you, you go to like Walmart or something, you just, there's a bunch of people sleepwalking just to be able to tolerate their life, yeah. you know? I know, I think it's so sad, but I think that this it is. work is so, so important, important because this is how, I think this is how we fight oppression and I think yes. this is how we fight the epidemic of people being anxious and yeah. depressed and- And taking their lives. I mean, the, yeah. the, the the life-taking epidemic that we're having right now is really concerning, mm-hmm. and, you know. And and I think, I I I think after the, all the isolation and everything that happened, you know, through the pandemic, I was thinking that whole time, like we're gonna have such an epidemic of spiritual and mental mental um, just unwellness that that's gonna come from all this because we're supposed to do life together. We're we're just, like the my perfect life with another human would be both of us doing our soul work, doing our self-inquiry next to each other and letting each other be exactly who we are rather than getting all enmeshed and thinking like, your job is to make me happy. Your job is to alleviate all of my suffering. Your job is to make sure I'm never uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. But but being next to each other and, and doing everything we can for ourselves and then you know offering, offering a hand when somebody needs help rather than always pointing outward saying, who's gonna save me? Who's gonna make me feel better? Whose fault is it that I feel bad? Like just going in and going, okay, where, what, where is my thinking 
disordered right now? Like where, what, what, what part is my thinking playing in this? Cause I think a lot of this are is the stories that we tell ourselves about ourselves. That's, that's so much suffering. And then the comparison we do with other people, like it will never go well for you to compare yourself to somebody else. Because just like I said at the beginning, you're such a different creature entirely than another person. And so we can admire people, we can learn from people's mistakes, but when we say, oh, they have this and I have this or whatever, like that just needs to be an observation rather than a, a value statement. Like they're better than me or they're worse than me because of what they have or who they are, you know? Because yeah. everybody just has such a different, everybody got dealt completely different cards and continues to, you know, throughout their whole life than the yeah. next person. How would someone go about doing self-inquiry? Well, um, typically when I sit down and talk with somebody, one of the things that's happened for me because I've been doing this for 25 years is because I've sat with so many people for an entire week with no devices and we're just present with each other and I hear their whole life story. I've heard thousands of different life stories, okay? And so a lot of times, um, my brain can see things in a person that they can't see in themselves. I can see the magnific magnificence and I can see a little seed of maybe the answer that they're looking for when they're talking. So what I do, I never point that out though, because it's not, it, it won't stay with them. So what I do is I ask them questions that will lead them to seeing what I see. Mm -hmm. It will lead them to the answers. And so, that's when I work one-on-one -on -one with people. But in all of my curriculum, it's really just a bunch of questions. And it's, it's over 20 years of work sitting with people. I, I know all the questions to ask people and I'll tell them like, just cut out the question. You know, I give people, you, you've been to my house and done this with me. I'll either give them a statement of truth or a statement of wondering or, or some kind of statement. You know, you'll just get pages and pages of all these statements or questions. And then everybody just sits down and they cut out either the questions or the statements that resonate with them because then it's theirs. You know, if I were to, just like I have five kids and if I were to tell them what I think they should do, that's not theirs. That's not theirs. It doesn't it doesn't fall right but if i can ask the right questions you know or get them to ask themselves the right questions then that answer is theirs and it's almost like you make a contract with yourself that's why when like when you guys come over to do soul work with me we paste everything down it's like making a contract with your soul like i chose these words i chose these statements i chose these questions and now i'm going to paste it down your your eyes and your brain are seeing your hands do it right in front of you and now it's yours it's your belief it's your it, it's it's the work it's your reward for going in and and rescuing yourself like that's what we have to do we have to do a rescue mission for our own selves and not expect that someone else ever could or should go in and rescue us you know yeah and that's why i think your method is so powerful because for me it's really hard like i'll get these little intuitive hits but i'll just push them back or maybe not recognize that they are my intuition speaking to me but the way that you do things, like just cutting out the words and just putting on, a, putting them on a card, it just makes things more visual. Because I'm a yeah. very visual person, and I feel like a lot of people are. Yeah. So just putting that down. It's empowering because you're like, I do know. Yeah. I didn't think I knew, but I do know. But, yeah. And that's that's really my job as a guide um, for creative self inquiry um, is just to guide people through finding what they already know. You know what I mean? Like I never, I don't know what people know. Mm -hmm. I, I can see seeds, like I said, of things I can see in them that I hope that they, I can guide them to see, but I don't know everything they know. They don't even know everything they know, but, but with the right, 
the, the elements of it are safety. Like I, I try to create an emotionally safe environment. And I know you've, you've been um, to some gatherings at my, my place that, you know, things happened that took away some of the safety and you can, you know how that feels like when, when it feels like a safe environment, like that's super, super, super important to me is to create a really safe environment for people to be able to open up to themselves, to be able to open up. And, and then the, the quiet, you know, I, I require quiet time so people can hear themselves. They're not, they're not, you know, going to that default method of seeking out answers from the people around them or giving answers. To, you know, that's just a, that's just a mechanism to get you to, when you're scared to look at yourself, you either ask other people or you tell other people, you know, so I, so I try to give people the environment where they can only hear themselves and then just play you know, like play, like children, like a lot of color and paint and supplies of stuff to just make something that didn't exist before you created it. Just the elements to, to show you how powerful you are, that you just made something that didn't exist before it got created. Not, not, not very many creatures on this planet can do that. Like birds build nests and things like that, but people don't go and, I mean, people do go, animals and things, they don't go and create these works of art and, and, and what I try to do when I'm working with people is help them see that they can completely restory their whole life. Like they can tell their, tell about their past to themselves in a different way and not lying and not even leaving anything out, but saying, because I went through this, I became this person. That's the rest of the story people don't tell themselves. They get stuck in these loops of their trauma or their um, real abuse. You know, people, they've really been abused. And so they get stuck in these loops um, but I try to help them tell the whole story. The rest of the story is that I became this incredible person because of that. I don't think things happen on purpose or for a reason. Like I, I just don't believe that. I think there's too much suffering in this world to think that there's a reason why, why that happens. But I do believe you can, you can learn from it and become so strong because of it and in spite of it. So that's, that's what I try to, um, just give people all the tools to go inward and see what's really true about themselves, you know, mm-hmm. all the good things, you know, cause, yeah. cause we beat, the, we beat the crap out of ourselves, you know, and a lot of people don't see the fact that you made it to the 2023, you know, this has been a rough couple of years. You're, you're a warrior. You know what I mean? Like you got all the way to today. So you're going to get to tomorrow and you're going to get to next year and you're going to get you. I think people just forget like how much they've already learned and endured and made it through and all that kind of stuff. So the self-inquiry helps them go in and see like not only what they've done, but what because of what they've done, that means they can create something moving forward. And that's that's really the my goal as a guide is to get them to see all that they've already created and then rather than waiting for life to happen to them or taking the leftovers or, or responding to what's going on in the world and what's happening, take a more proactive approach and say, I made it all the way to here and I created my life along the way. What if I started right now and decided to create my life moving forward rather than just having it happen to me? And that's, that's really what happens when you go in and you start seeing how powerful you are and how powerful you've always been is you're like, wait a second, if I did this, that means I can use all these same brain functions and heart functions and spirit functions to actually just go create whatever I want to create rather than what I just sort of created 
by default or not really by accident because I, I always feel like you you know things you, there's there's mechanisms running in you all the time that you're not even conscious of just like your heart beating and breathing and things like that but if you became totally conscious of what you're thinking how you're behaving who you're hanging out with what food you're eating all the things that affect our vibration that's you know and that's not just a woo-woo word that's a that's physics you know those the, that's hard science that it, the 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 environment that you surround yourself with inward and outward the thoughts that you think the music that you listen to the the way you perceive what's happening to you the way you perceive others um, all of that puts your bot your physical body and your spirit in a state where you can either be really healthy or really unhealthy and so why would you not after knowing all that stuff like totally hack your own system and just go I I want to I want to live I want to live up to my highest potential, you know, it takes a lot of discipline, just like everything good does, but yeah. it's exciting when you learn it. Mm-hmm. I know. And I love going over to your house because it like what, what I was saying in your intro before you got here, I was like, she's just so warm. Like you just go over to her house and you just never want to leave. Like you just, it feels like just like a, a mother figure and just like so warm and I love it. And that's why I think that comes across, like, even if people don't know you, I think that comes across in like your curriculum and just all the things that you say and yes yeah yeah I you know it's in I'm I'm so grateful and happy for to hear you say that stuff because those are those are intentions that I make and I don't know the magic of intentions I don't know the science of how intentions work but um you know I live in a much smaller house than I used to live and a lot of things happened in my life and I lost all the things that I'd built but I was like, you know what? If I lived in a dumpster, I would decorate it up and invite people over to. Yeah, I would. <laughs> and because I have seen enough times the power of creating a home environment where people feel safe. And I and I think every time I I macrame some twinkle lights and hang them on my windows or I or I put a prism in the window so that there'll be rainbows everywhere or I, you know, whatever I do, like I really try to make my house beautiful in ways that are not like so fancy that nobody wants to be in there. Just be, just walking into a magic little wonderland. You know, that's what I want for people. When I'm fluffing my pillows and when I'm vacuuming my velvet couch that gets every bit of lint on it and everything like that, whenever I'm doing that, it's with this intention that I want to make sure that anybody that drops by has a place to sit and, and feels welcome and feels like this is just a, a homey environment. And I, I really think that our intentions can precede us. Like, like if I, even when, you know, when I lost everything, I was living in an RV for a while and I was thinking about someday I'm gonna have a place again where people can gather. And I used to have a retreat center and now I just have that little rental house. But I'm just like, I just thought, well, while I'm, you know, while I'm rebuilding my life or whatever, I'll just, just do it in this rental house. But then I just thought, why, why do I need anything else? You know, the little groups of 12 people that I put together are so intimate and, and make such a, a beautiful family. And I get to be part of that. And so that's um, probably the highest compliment that you could have given me because that's what I, I want to. I, I, I wanted this for my children, too, when they were growing up is just. I want you to be able to retreat from the chaos of the world and just come to a place where you don't even have to wonder, am I safe here? Am I loved here? Am I wanted here? It's not even a thought that comes to your mind because the feeling there just completely takes those thoughts away and you can just rest for a little while. Yeah. Just rest, you know, mm-hmm. get your bearings again. So how does somebody set that up in their own house? Is it just the power of setting intentions? I think I think a lot of it has to do with intentions. I um I think because of Pinterest and a lot of things that didn't even exist when I was your age, 
I think uh, people think they have to do a lot more than they have to do. Um, when I started certifying teachers to teach my curriculum, because I used to have a big, beautiful um, art barn and everything was just totally decked out. When I started to teach people to do what I do, I was like, everybody can't do this. And so I started telling them, get a couple of strings of, of Christmas lights, of just white, white twinkle lights and um, a couple of beautiful pictures and some music. And that's all you've got to do. You know, just when somebody walks into a space and they can tell that you went to some effort because you knew they were coming over, people can feel that. And, and, and also just um, making sure that the minute they walk in the door, that you're there at the door and you're just like, I'm so happy to see you. Like, welcome, I'm, I'm so happy to see you. Like every, every single opportunity that you have to interact with somebody, it, it just makes a difference. And so I, I do think it's almost, for, well, first of all, you have to make the space for yourself. I used to just do this for everybody else, but when I really went through such a hard time in my life and I wasn't seeing any people during pandemic and everything like that, I started going, what if I did for myself what I used to do for everybody else? And so I started decorating up my space just for me. And, and that taught me the power of knowing like what feels good and what doesn't feel good. So I would honestly start with just making it a space that you feel, that you feel nourished and comforted and um, welcomed and that you're precious enough to put up twinkle lights in your own house. Even if you're not having a party, you're precious enough to put out your best dishes or to you know, buy new pillow covers for your couch or whatever. Whatever you would do if you were gonna have a big party or a bunch of people were gonna come and stay at your house that you hadn't seen in a long time. Do that for yourself first and, and start. I also believe that every single person that has come into my spaces and healed, their energy has stayed there because anytime anybody comes to my house, they're like, it just feels so healing here. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, that's because people have come here and healed. And that gift that they left behind was that signature of healing, yeah. of just wholeness, you know? Yeah, that's so pretty. I love that. <laughs> I love that thought. Me too. <sighs> Okay, so how does somebody get to know who they really are and then release the parts of themselves that aren't them? Well, that's, um, I think every decade that you're alive, you shed more of who you're not. Um, I think you, I think from the time you're probably about 11, especially for girls, you start taking on things that you're not to, to be accepted. I hope that that's changing in our society. But I, but I think there's a, there's a period where you're gathering, 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 gathering who you want to be. You know, you're even you're you're making a home. You're gathering when you become an adult. You start gathering your own things. They're not from your parents. But lots of times when you're looking outward, you're gathering things that you think you're supposed to be. And then you get to a certain age. Um, I think it's like. From in my experience, it was like around I don't know almost forty, where you're just like going, I don't even know if I like this. You know what yeah. I mean? And so an awareness, first of all, of just what if all what if a lot of the things I believe or the lot of, a lot of things I'm doing aren't even me. Mm -hmm. That just an awareness, like being open to the possibility that maybe I'm not living authentically. And I don't mean to guilt yourself or shame yourself or feel any bad feelings because we, we live in a, a consumer culture where all these companies are trying to tell us that we're missing something and they have the thing we're missing. And so if you buy that, you're gonna be popular and amazing and whole and you're gonna have a great relationship and you're gonna be beautiful and young forever or whatever. And so we, so we buy into that stuff. 
and, and there's nothing wrong with that, but, but there will come a time in your life, either through a great tragedy or trauma or when all your children are raised and they're out of the house or you go through a divorce or whatever, there's, there's a lot, all these defining moments where you're like, I don't even know who I am. You know what I mean? That's, that's the most beautiful thing that can happen to you, I believe. Because if you, if you don't get caught in the shame spiral, because then you can just start, um, you can start feeling like, what, can, what is me? You know, I think just asking yourself the questions, that's why I, I think, I love questions way more than I love answers. I, because I don't think we're ever gonna get all the answers to our questions. But if we can keep asking ourselves, the, the right questions, we can stay so, so, so aligned. So really it's, it's a lot of the things that you teach, I bet, is just like learning the technology of your body. Like what, what we are so numbed to our own bodies and our bodies have this absolute technology of yes, no in them. And so the first thing I would do is, and this is what I do in my course called Soul Restoration, the very first lesson is what does truth feel like and what do lies feel like? What does that feel like in your body? Because you can't figure out who you are and what you want until you know what a yes feels like and what a no feels like to you. Mm -hmm. So that, and it's kind of a long game. And also I think like in your teens and your twenties and your thirties and even your forties, it's really a time to try things out. So it's okay if you do things that aren't you. Like I did so many things. I, like I've told people a bunch of times, like the probably the most powerful book I could ever write is 5,000 things not to do that I know from experience. Knowing what not to do is every bit as important as knowing what to do. So I, I don't think you should ever feel ashamed that you did a bunch of stuff in your life that wasn't really you because you figured that out by doing it. You know what I mean? So, so your question was, how do you learn, you know, more about yourself? Go, go into self inquiry. Like I said, it, it's, it's understanding that you, there's whole, this whole belief system has to change that you don't need anybody, nobody, not your parents, not your teachers, not your church leaders. Nobody gets to tell you who you are. You know what I mean? It's that you've got to come to that belief of, I know who I am. Now I believe in connecting with the divine, whatever that is for you. I think that your divine self and, and the source of everything, God, whatever you call it, can really, really help you with that. But I don't think any other human beings have the capacity to tell you who you are or what you should do. So that's a belief that has to change where you're not going to find the book or the program or the religion even, or the, or the degree that's going to tell you who you are. You're just not. That's work for you and, and to connect with the divine is what I believe. Um, so a lot of beliefs have to change before you can, before you can figure this stuff out. And then from there, it's just like, um, I got some really good advice. I don't know if you know who Stephen Covey is. He died a, a long time ago. He was like the big guru in my generation. So I got to, I got to spend a couple of days with him one time. And one of the questions he asked me was, what did you love to do as a child? Who were you as a child? And that's probably one of the most powerful questions. If you, if you can remember like what lit you up as a child, very often the same sorts of things light you up as an adult. So just knowing that and going, what did I love to do as a child? And, and then just letting yourself play, like play. And, um, and, and when, when you start doing this work too, there's a big, um, a big temptation to see the people that have led you astray. And, and that's such a waste of time to just go, well, I got, I got led astray because I was married to this person or I like that's, that could be true for sure, but such a big waste of time to, to just 
you know, you need to grieve the things that you lost or the, or the things that, that happened in a way differently than you wanted them to happen. But to get caught in this victim mentality, and I believe we do get victimized, but we don't want to make that our identity of like, like you, like you can, you can look back and like my husband had a brain injury when we'd been married for 14 years and he was out for six years. And then it took another 10 years of recovery after that. And if I get caught in the spiral of all the things I missed out on as a mother, as just a wife, as everything for all of those years, I will waste today and I'll waste tomorrow and I'll waste the next day. So I can grieve those things. But one of the temptations, like I said, when you start doing self-inquiry is you'll get caught up on, oh, that happened. And that's how I got led astray. And, and what the exercises I do, I try to get you through that as fast as possible. Yep, that sucked so bad and it should have happened really differently and you didn't deserve that. And so, what, but what, what would you love to have happened? And, and they'll say something like, well, I wish they would have treated me with respect and dignity and, and helped me be who I am. Then I'll say, okay, now's the time for you to treat you with dignity and let you be who you are. So that, that's your soul saying, this is what I really wanted. Now, as an adult human, you get to say, I'm an adult now, so I can give myself that thing that I didn't get before. So there's just a lot of stages of going through it. There's of seeing like, what I you wish you would have done differently. So there's a little bit of grief, a little bit of shame that you need to eliminate as quickly as possible. But then letting yourself just play and go try things based on how it feels in your body. Like, the, is this a yes for me? Is this a no for me? You know, and then, like I said, the, the fastest way when I have a couple days with people is just giving them a lot of statements to just write out. And now my newest curriculum is restorying. So you get to tell yourself your story about your life in a more empowering way, a true way, but a complete way. Like I said, you know, who you became. And then now I'm going to create this like pre-writing your story and walking into it. So after you know what you want, not just like going, I want to be that, like that celebrity or whatever. Like that's just a miserable when you're always trying to be like somebody else. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think something else that you said too, is, um, like think about the things that you did when you were a kid and reconnect with those things. Yeah. But I think even on the flip side of that is like, sometimes we move on from those. Like for me, yeah. I'm so attached to it. Like, oh, I, I was a singer when I was young, but maybe that's not really my thing anymore. Yeah. And just kind of accepting that and like- Yeah, I think that's, that's so, I'm so glad you brought that up because dreams get expired and outdated. I, I try really hard when I see somebody who feels trapped in an old dream, dream or an obligation or even a promise like people who got a degree that took eight years and they hate what they're doing. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It's totally okay for you to go, I don't want to do this. I want to do something yeah. totally different, you know? And just like when, what you're saying when you were a kid, yeah, I wanted to live in New York City. Like when I was a kid, I'd, I'd never even been on an airplane and I wanted to like work in a skyscraper and stuff like that. And so if I looked back at that, you know, but, but the essence of who I was, like I was always in nature. I was always making something. I was always mm -hmm. singing and just like, you know, trying to gather people together and, and make people feel good. And, and that's still what I do. You know what I mean? And so if you can just look back on just the essence of who you are, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? But also, yeah, there might be some dreams too that maybe you want to do like I've been to New York enough times to know that I don't want to live in New York yeah. <laughs> so just attaching to the essence and not yeah the, the essence yeah the essence like how did I 
Um, one of the things that I've seen a lot of memes about, I don't even know if it's true, but I really like what it says. It says something like in Africa or whatever, if you went to a medicine woman or medicine man and said, I'm miserable, I'm depressed, whatever, the first question they would ask you is, when did you stop singing? When did you stop dancing? When did you stop laughing? And, and I think that's a really, really important question. Yeah. And, when, and why? You know, why did you? You know, mm-hmm. and that's the stuff we did when we were kids. If, yeah. if we if we were healthy and yeah I feel like it might be a trigger word for some people to hear like inner child healing yeah but it's for so sure. important it it's, is it's so underrated for a lot of people so I want to say that because I I want to say what to do if you have if you don't even want to think about your inner child because that's true for a lot of people like when you have trauma especially the sexual trauma and things like that it's it's devastating to, and, and a lot of times you can't even remember your childhood because your brain is protecting you so what I tell people to do in those cases, because I have a really powerful meditation where you meet your eight-year-old self and your 80-year-old self, and, and a lot of times people are like, I can't, I don't want to see my eight-year-old self. I say, imagine yourself as a, at, like think of a child, a young child, doesn't matter what age it is, that you really love, three, four, five, six, seven, eight years old, that you really, really love, and think about how innocent and beautiful and how much you want for them, and then put, project that onto yourself as a child. And a lot of p- times people have never done that. They've never thought of themselves with the same value and belovedness that they do of other children. And we're really just like the exact same little soul in a, in a, a bigger body, you know what I mean? And so yeah. that little child, you know, deserves you, now that you're an adult, like I've gone back and completely reparented my child self. You know, that's probably one of the first work, one of the first um, bodies of work that I did when I, when I was in my thirties is I went back and I just visualized what I would have done for myself as a little girl, you know, and as my adult self now, you know, and that's super powerful to, to just go in and tell your child self, like you deserved better than what you got. And I'll make sure you never get hurt again. And I'm going to give you the things that you need and want. And I'm going to make sure nobody hurts you like you got hurt before. You know, yeah. that's super powerful. Yeah. Because the power is you. It's not yep. relying on somebody else, yep. like a relationship, a partner, a parent, anybody yep. else. It's like, you have to go back and heal that part of yourself. Yeah. Because you can't expect anyone else to do that. No, and they can't. And they, you, even if you did expect them and they wanted to do it, they can't do it. They just mm-hmm. can't. They don't know what's in there. They don't know how to get in there. People can help us, but it, when, as soon as we give all that power away to somebody, I see so many people, including myself, waiting for the apology or waiting for, you know, or, or thinking I'm never going to be okay because that person died or whatever. And we never. That's that is such a waste of your life. You know, mm-hmm. I know this from experience to to think that another person has the power to to heal you through words or actions that they, they do it definitely can help. But until you go and you give yourself the things that you need, you won't even be able to absorb it from other people until you give it to yourself to, yeah. because you don't your body doesn't even know how to do it. You have to be the first person that validates yourself, that loves yourself, that protects yourself, that tells yourself the truth, mm-hmm. you know, apologizes to yourself even. Yeah. So what is strength to you? Um, well, let's look at what the opposite of strength is. It's weakness and it's, um, it's a break. Like I, I, when I think of weakness, I think of something is either not structurally sound or it's been broken or it's been compromised in some way. So when I think about strength, I have to think about something in its whole state and and in its in and in its you know most sound constructed state, and so when I when I think of inner strength, 
It's what lies am I telling myself that, that tell me that I'm not whole right now? Because, because we, our bodies, our, our physical bodies are designed to regenerate our spiritual bodies just like that. Like we just choose a new vibration and they, and they can go, they can go as fast as, you know, they can heal back as to a, to a place of wholeness as fast as we want them to. So when now these days, because I've been studying neuroscience so much, when I think about strength, it's, um, what am I telling myself? Am I telling myself a weak story or a strong story? I think strength comes when you, when what you say and what you do and how you behave and what you think all align with what you believe is the best thing. That takes a lot of strength and it takes a lot of discipline. Um, I think strength comes in being okay being alone when when the times when you have to be alone, even when you're surrounded by people, sometimes you're the only one in a room that thinks the way you think. And sometimes you're the, you know, strength just, it's, it's, it's not letting little pieces of yourself get taken or, or leave them somewhere or abandon them. And, and really all it takes to get yourself back to a place of wholeness is to say, I'm not going to abandon any parts of myself, even the parts that I don't like so much. I'm going to bring all of it back together and make it fortified, like make it one whole piece that's what strength is for me i hope that answered your question yeah, <laughs> so you had a pretty crazy ride with your business yeah. do you want do you want to talk a little bit about that and how you were able to find forgiveness and bounce back with such a difficult experience well that um i'm i'm you know i'm anywhere between three and five years on the other side of it even I could even go back 10 years when you know things started to get kind of crazy if you asked me this a couple of years ago I would be in a completely different place and I would talk about um, how I have just I just made a decision that I'm gonna do whatever it takes to build this back up and it was a terrible awful horrible tragedy it was unfair it was unjust it was a betrayal it was um, it just about destroyed me. You know, that's, that's where my story was a couple of years ago over the last year. And especially like the last six months, I can see that I'm a lot better off as a one woman show, like having these little gatherings and, and, and sharing my curriculum with people who want to get certified and, and using technology and just kind of really slowing my life down. And so I don't feel as raw about everything that happened, even, even I'm to the place of being grateful for how things happen because I'm such a determined person that I would have tried to keep my big business going even, and it was killing me. It was killing me physically, mentally, emotionally. And so I think Think whatever happened and how it happened was almost by divine appointment like that to save my own life and to save my own work but in while it was happening I think there there are a number of things that sometimes we have to rely on to keep us going when we can't have our own um, our own reasons and I had a husband who needed medicine and who needed doctors and children that you know that were just becoming adults that needed financial help we so lots of times I got up in the morning and started my business up again just for, because we needed money we need you know what I mean but and that's when I was really depressed and and like that that was the reason that kept me going but then I um again going back into self-inquiry and talking to my own soul as soon as I had the strength to do that like this is what I'm on this planet to do you know and I've been held back a lot I, even though I've had incredible experiences all over the world and with you know in partnership with other companies with other people with business partners everything I've had all those experiences I'm so grateful for and and I and there's there are a few, a few things I would change about 
what I did, but I wouldn't change that I had those experiences. Now I'm in a place where I can pivot really, really fast. Cause like I said, I, 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 I get up in the morning and I decide what I want to do every day. And so I, 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 I had to go inward and say, what, why am I even doing this? And, and I think that's a really, really, really scary question when you have bills to pay, you know, cause what if the answer is, I don't even want to do this. But I can tell you with all every everything in me that if I didn't want to be doing this, I wouldn't be doing this. Even though I built, you know, I have tens of thousands of students all over the world that I love. If my inner compass and my soul said, it's time for you to not do this anymore, I would have stopped. I really would have. And and it was hard to rebuild it. And but but I rebuilt it because my whole soul said that your, your work hasn't even begun yet. This was just a stepping stone for where you're headed. Mm-hmm. You just keep going and listen to yourself. And, that, and because I had so many, I mean, when I was, pro- from the time I was around 30, I've had like 25 or more employees. And so I'm constantly helping people grow their talents and, and things like that. And I've never, and then I had five children and I had a sick husband. And now I'm in a place, I'm 51 years old. I'm alone almost all day and until I'm like with great friends like you, I, this is the first time in my adult life. Cause I got married when I was 18. I had a baby nine and a half months later. You know, I started my first business when I was 25. I, I have had people in and out of my house and a big, huge family. I have never had so much quiet time to hear myself. And I, the way that I'm rebuilding things is so personal and intuitive to me and, and unique and original and authentic. And so I, the way that I got through all of that honestly was through self-inquiry was, was through using the, the curriculum that I've been helping other people with for all these years. I had to go back because I had to rebuild my online school. I had to go through every single course that I've ever created and rebuild it and put, you know, put the curriculum put all the videos back up, put all the printouts back up. And so I had to watch every video for 20 years of work. That's what got me through. And like, I would just be crying and I'd be like, this is so good. I don't even remember making this. Like, this is exactly the words. Even I was watching um, my course called Soul Restoration with one of my best friends. We did it together a couple summers ago. And I was going, you know, like I said, a couple years ago, I was in a bad place. I kept going, did you hear what she just said? That's exactly, I was talking about my own self, you know, cause it was a <laughs> class I made like 10 years ago. So yeah, I, I, I use the things that, that I know work. And then I also pared down my life massively. I mean, I, I used to have a really big life and now I have a pretty quiet life and I really honestly have never felt more whole and happy than I feel now. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of cool because I feel like a lot of the times we're like, I wonder what my future self would tell me. But it's like, what would you tell your future self? Yeah. Because sometimes we need who we are now, but we always f- feel like we're reaching for the person that we're going to become. You know what I did? I um, One of the most healing things I've ever done is I wrote I wrote a little tiny book called Dear Little Freebird to my little child self from where I am now. And I, I wrote her all these letters of, you're gonna be so excited to grow up and all the things that you're gonna go through are gonna be worth it. Cause when you're 51, you know, you're gonna have six grandchildren and you're gonna make art. And you're gonna make the most amazing friends and you're gonna live in St. George, Utah, the most beautiful place you've ever been in your life. And sorry, this is choking me up. Yeah. Um, that like healed everything that happened from the time I was small till now, because I told myself the truth. I went back and told my child self, like, 
I'm, I will make sure no one, no one is mean to you ever again. Nobody's going to abuse you anymore. Like all, everything that you are, you know, everything that, how your life is right now, it's going to be so worth it for you to keep going. You get to be a free spirit. You, you're going to meet people that are weird like you, that you're going to, you're going to be so, you wait till you see who you become when you're 50 years old, you know? So I think going backwards and going forward, you know, I, one of the meditations that we do in soul restoration, like, like I said, is where you meet your 80 year old self. And I've done that meditation so many times now that my eight-year-old self and my self now and my eight-year-old self all merge into one person. So I can really access my eight-year-old self. She's just like me. She's just older and yeah. saggier and more wrinkly. <laughs> She's more epic. That's so beautiful. Yeah. I got choked up there for a second too because it's just, it's so cool to just like connect, connect the dots because I've never yeah. thought of that, like putting your old self your present self and your future self together but it's that's like so cool because we really do stay the same person we have different experiences and different wisdom but we're always going to be the same same. exactly the same yeah you know more stuff well like when i connect with my 80 year old self she's so proud you know And, and and when you're looking for validation from a parent or a grandparent or a teacher or whatever you really can go forward and give it to yourself as an, an older person. Like I, when I connect with that person, I just see her looking at myself at, at 50, just going, you go girl, you are rocking this, you know? Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, so you were talking about how you're studying neuroscience. How Can you tell me about the power of imagination and creating yeah. your life? Yeah, I, I feel like that is the most powerful gift we could ever be given, honestly. And what I know, because I have sat in these rooms, in these conference tables of big companies, is that the the people who want you to do things like marketing teams and stuff like that, they know the power of your imagination. And they know that if you are not actively deciding what your imagination is creating, they're going to create it for you. And so that was one of the things when I started, when I started studying marketing and psychology and things like that, I was like, holy crap, there, there are actual books and programs that teach you how to use someone else's technology for your gain. And that made me sick. And so I started thinking, okay, so we have to know that that's happening. And and, and it was more like a defensive thing for me. Like, I'm not going to let anybody control my thoughts. But then I was like, what if I control my thoughts? Like, what if I make myself buy the things I want to buy and do the things I want to do and say the things I want to say. And so I started like from a really young age, I remember we had these little encyclopedias and there was something that told the functions of the brain. And that was way before any brain stuff was known. There's so much incredible brain stuff now. My husband had a brain injury 20 years ago. There's hardly anything about the brain. So just the newest neuroscience is so epic, but it's also really, really old ancient wisdom that's merging with it. You see why all the ancient sages said the things that they said, like to guard your thoughts and have no fear. So if you believe in well, if you know the truth, that's what I'm going to say of vibration, you know, all of these the, the the thought patterns that you get yourself in, they through the laws of physics, they attract things of the same vibration. So if you imagine things and you're in a state of fear, you're going to just the vibration, you will get yourself in a place where you notice and and um, contract with almost like uh, connect with and um, cooperate with you cooperate with other things that are of fear you know people think it's so woo-woo to think of the law of attraction where things just get attracted to you but you they, they do because they're around you all the time it's almost like a magnet so if if that's true and I know that it is 
why not use that in a way where you're like, I'm going to think that I, like this morning I was listening to a podcast and, and it said, get up in the morning and say something incredible is going to happen in the next hour. Something incredible is going to happen today. And almost guaranteed something will. Like, and it would have probably would have happened no matter what, but you wouldn't have even noticed. Like a little, like I was, today I said that. And then I love birds. And this little bird just came and landed like on the window, like right in front of me and just stared at me. And I was like, there's my incredible thing that's happening, you know? So that um, gets you in a state, like it's, a, it's this, is this positive feedback loop. Like the more positive things you notice, the more positive things get attracted to you. So then you get started getting addicted to positive things, just like you can get addicted to negative things. What Joe Dispenza says is we get addicted to a life that we hate because our body makes dopamine just from avoiding the things we wanna do. Like procrastination can become a negative feedback loop because you, every time you pr procrastinate, your brain makes dopamine. That's the, I wanna do it again chemical. That's the addiction chemical. So you can, you can use, you can hack into this neuroscience and neurochemistry in, on whatever level you want to, but just know that it's not something that's not happening. If you're not using it, I guarantee someone's using it on you. They're using it against you. That's why people are so easily manipulated, you know, or, they're, or they become addicted to manipulating others because it's so effective. So, so just, like I said, I started out in, in a more defensive way. It's like, I don't want people manipulating and controlling me, but then I was like, what if I did that to myself? You know, so that's really, and, and I'm and incorporating that, a lot of that into my curriculum, just teaching people like you have all of the technology in your body that you could ever need to be your own life coach, to be your own trainer, to be your own nutritionist, to be your own therapist. You know, mm -hmm. it just, it, there's just so, so, so much there. It's so exciting to yeah. me. Yeah, that's so interesting. Yeah. That is such a cool thing to learn. Yeah, it is. It's everything. Um, if you had the attention of the whole world for five minutes, what would you say? Um, I don't know how I would put this in five minutes, but there's, I don't understand why people don't see that if we all just loved each other, that the world would be the most magical place. And so I guess what I would say is I would beg people to just be open to the possibility that if you decided to go out into the world in a state of kindness and unconditional love and wanting good for your fellow man, no matter who it is, and and not not um, feeling jealousy or bitterness or anger toward others, letting yourself work through those feelings and grieve through them, but wanting the best for everybody around you, how quickly our whole world would heal. You know, that's... But it, you know, I talk to people about this all the time. Like a lot of the things that are happening in our world that are completely destructive are, are states of the heart that people are in. You know, they want to make laws to make people do all these things. People aren't going to do things until their hearts have changed, you know? Mm -hmm. So if, if I had a magic wand and I had people for five minutes, I would change everyone's heart to take away this feeling that you have to source what you need from other human beings, that the source of everything good and true is limitless. We don't have to take anything from each other, you know, mm -hmm. and we can wish the best for each other. We don't have to be jealous or try to take, you know, take from each other. So that's, yeah. that's the message I would try to get across. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's really it's one you have really to learn beautiful. on your own. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what role does art and creativity play in healing and spirituality? Well, I truly believe that everybody knows innately when they're children that creating creativity, what did you say, art and creativity, is that what mm -hmm. you said? Um, is, like I said at the beginning, is like breathing. 
Um, I, I don't know what happens to people to make them think they're not creative or that creativity is a hobby or a luxury or a silly hat, silly pastime or whatever. Um, but I know the state of spirit and the state of mind that somebody gets in when they get into the flow of creating something and really get into that. I feel like you said that they're rolling in spirituality. Is that what you said? Mm -hmm. in, in, in health. I feel like it's one of the fastest portals and connections to the divine that you could ever, you look around this beautiful world, like where we live in St. George, every 360 degrees you look around and you see just spectacular beauty. Our creator, the same creator that created us created this. So I, I think that all the time, beauty and creativity must be epically important because our creator spends this much time making this many colors. There's something like, 15,000 different species of butterflies and birds. And, you know, like I, I, I think um, if we want to be live up to our potential, creativity must be right there at the top of the most important thing. And so that's honestly what I believe. And, and I've also watched people, their body language change. The, the, the eight, like when I have somebody for a week and they come and they're super stressed out, they always look like 10 years younger when they leave because they have just immerse themselves in this flow of creativity. And if it's not art for you, then do something, do something, go, go work with wood, with metal, with plants, you know, whatever it is, just my definition of creativity is just making something that didn't exist before you made it. So that could be a meal. Like I said, you could go outside and make a mandala out of leaves and rocks that something happens in your body when you slow down and, you, and look at something. I just made that even if it's ugly, like let yourself make ugly things too. Like mm -hmm. let, it's the process that you go through while you're making it. That's super important. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned what creativity is too because I feel like a lot of people just picture the very straightforward definition of just like painting and mm -hmm. making clothes and things like that but yeah I totally think that anything that you create can be creative yeah set how you set the table you know mm -hmm. how you organize your refrigerator just yeah. just being taking flow. chaos yeah taking chaos and organizing it and and that that flow state that you get in when you're doing that does something to you mm -hmm. physically and spiritually yeah. How does somebody achieve personal freedom? Um, being really, 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 really radically honest with yourself. That's the only way that you can be free is to take your power back from everybody that you've given it to. Mm -hmm. That's that's why we're not free. The, the only reason we're not free is because we've given our freedom away to all these places through comparison or thinking that we have to please other people or that we have to be certain things. I. W w the and it's hard it's really really hard because there's consequences there if you're somebody who is a people pleaser and suddenly you're like i don't even know who i am i have got to be back to who i am and you have to ma start making some boundaries and and take care of yourself better all the people that have been benefiting from you saying yes to everything and 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 you know just doing whatever they want to do, they're, they aren't going to like it. So th those are the consequences that I, I see a lot of people not willing to give up. They're not willing to give up, um, the, this people pleasing that would, even if it's killing them and making them feel self betrayal. So what was your question again? <laughs> I'm answering it, but I don't remember what it was. Um, how does somebody achieve personal yeah, freedom? Yeah. So, so personal freedom, you ha first of all, you have to decide, like, are you willing to 
live out personal freedom because like I said, it requires boundaries, it requires protection, and it requires you expecting that of other people, of them to be self-contained with themselves. You know what I mean? Because a lot of times the things that aren't making us free are our enmeshments and codependency with other people. So you have to be willing to not be codependent and not not please everybody. Mm-hmm. I feel like we already answered this next question, but how does creativity play a role in our health? Well, for me and and for the people that I work with, like I said, I see, you know, a lot of people meditate. They There's a lot of... Um, breath work, you know, things that regulate our nervous system. You know, I, I think, um, so many things are nervous system disorders in our, in our, in our world right now. Like, you know, people shake and they have anxiety and it, your nervous system just completely overloaded by too much information and too much expectation and all that kind of stuff. So the health part of it is I see people when they get into this flow and just let them play like a child and just, just get into this flow of, of this communion that you're having with your soul and with the divine through your hands making something. I literally see people's nervous system just completely, I see it in their body language, I hear it in the, their breath, in, in just everything just slows down. So in the same way that going in a float tank or going to a meditation or going and get a massage and whatever, whatever people do, whatever modality they use to calm down their nervous system, that, that happens. So that's one thing. The other thing is just the mental confidence and um, muscle, the mental muscle that you gain every time you create something and see the power of your imagination. It grows that more. And, and like I said, creates dopamine. So you want to do it again. So it creates just this, you go into a positive feedback loop instead of a negative feedback back loop that, that, you know, spirals you down the toilet. You get, you get into a positive one. Oh my gosh, I, I can make more stuff. I can design my own life. I can, I can feel relaxed. I can feel calm. I can do this with my friends. We can all sit around the table and still be together, but still be taking care of ourselves. Yeah. It's having to be very present yes and it yep. it's so cool how you can tie it into science because yeah. like i said i think people just doubt things that seem so obvious like yeah. just slowing down your nervous system but hearing the science i think helps open people's eyes to the benefits of it well and like i said what i learned from my friend in her grief work is that humans are are wired to seek relief and that's what i see i see people feeling deep 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 relief from finding their own answers, from just slowing down their nervous system, from having a good time, from just just being, just being with themselves, mm-hmm. that you get relief from that. Who's been the biggest influence in your life? Probably my husband, watching him go through um, his brain injury and watching him. He used to be a, an extreme athlete and um, was incredible, just was was able to do so many things um, as, a, as an extreme athlete. And watching him lose that as part of his identity and watching him have to um, suffer through just losing really basically everything, who he was on the outside and watching him grow his spirit while he's recovering from his brain injury and then watching him, who he's become through that um, is is super inspiring to me and my kids. And I don't know, there's so many people, but, but the thing that has been really um, shocking to me is whenever I think about the people that inspire me the most, they're not the famous people and they're not the people that get written about in books. They're just normal everyday people that I see giving it their best and Mm -hmm. being really authentic and true to themselves. Yeah, that's so cute. (laughs) I love that. I love a good love story. 
If you could choose one thing that everyone had to do for their health, what would it be? Hmm. I wish everybody had somebody to hug them for like 30 seconds straight, two times a day. Mm-hmm. And then look them in the eyes and see, really see them. You know, I, I, I think that's life changing. I, I think it's life changing to melt into somebody else that cares about you and then to be seen by somebody else and to see somebody else. That's, yeah. that's what I would do. We lack so much human connection. Oh my gosh. Yeah, and a real connection. Because we hug each other, but we're so disconnected from our bodies. You know, you see people like patting each other and giving all these weird <laughs> robotic hugs. Yeah, it's which even is great. Hug, yeah, it's just a high five. <laughs> yeah, or whatever. Yeah, but it's so, um, I love to see when just people melt into each other, mm-hmm. you know, and, and just find comfort and relief in each other and, and allow themselves to be loved in that way, mm-hmm. you know, feel safe enough to let themselves melt into somebody else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I agree. What books have shaped your career the most? Um, Man's Search for Meaning. That's always a good one uh, by Viktor Frankl. Gosh, there there are just so many. I, I, as of late, um, anything by Joe Dispenza, like Becoming Supernatural. Um, I actually have been reading a ton of really, really old books. They're all written around the same time in the 1920s. Mm-hmm. They're about 100 years old. And, and that was the beginning of neuroscience. Like there's, a, there's an author called uh, Florence Scoville Shin, and she was what was called a metaphysician in New York City. And what she would do is she would prescribe thoughts to people when they would come in that they need to think and words that they need to say. And she didn't even know the science of it back then, but she helped people heal from all sorts of beliefs, help people become really wealthy. Um, I, I think at, I read constantly, so it's hard for me to pick one book. Um, or even 20 books. I go in phases, like like I said, right now I'm, I'm kind of on a, um, a neuroscience binge and I'm, I've been studying human design and gene keys and just psychology. I've read just about every psychology book that I love. I just love to um, explore just the human condition, like what, what, our, what our minds do to us. And a lot of the books that I've read are completely outdated because the science has has completed the picture or, or completely obliterated what they thought that theory was or whatever. Yeah. But I also love, love, love people's stories. So anytime I can read a good biography or, or a, just a story about somebody's life, I love yeah. that. That's really cool that you read the old ones because I think ancient wisdom is so yes, cool because it it's so powerful what we learn now, but I feel like sometimes we get disconnected from totally. like true wisdom. We make it too complicated, just yeah. like you said. I think it was Einstein that said if the if the answer is simple, it's God answering. Like he, yeah. he, Einstein basically said, like, if you're, if you're making it too complicated, it's not true, yeah. you know, because exactly. truth is a very simple. Mm-hmm. And where can people learn more about you and learn about your curriculum? Um, I have two websites, um, my online school and my website. So you can go to melodyrossmedia.com. That's just my website. Um, I have a page on Amazon. I have a lot of books on Amazon. So you go just to the Melody Ross page on Amazon. And then my online school is called soulroadacademy.com. Perfect. Yeah. And then how can I and the listeners support your work? Well, this is a huge support. I just love, I love having you, um, I love having you over and just sitting beside you. Thank you so much for this conversation. This was, it was so soul nourishing because I sit here alone like all the time. (laughs) So it's just good to like connect with you and, 
And I just love you so much. I'm so thankful for everything that you shared with me and the listeners. And I hope it changes somebody because it changed me. And I feel as our conversation went on, I feel like my heart just softened. Me too. And I'm so thankful for you. So thanks so much for this conversation. Thank you. It was an honor. (laughs) Isn't she just so beautiful? I just feel so inspired by that conversation. It just feels so good to talk about these things that we deal with on a day-to-day basis. And I just feel so inspired to use my creative outlets more and to spend more time connecting with my inner child. And I really want to write notes like she was talking about writing notes to yourself as a little girl and just kind of giving those validations that you needed when you were younger. I just think that was such a beautiful thing to practice. And I just want to spend more time getting to know who I am now rather than attaching myself to the ideas of who I thought I needed to be. Thank you guys so much for listening today. I hope you got so much out of this. Be sure to go check out her Amazon page. She literally has the most gorgeous books and I know you guys will love them. So thank you so much for listening and subscribe for more episodes. Bye.